Well, it was the most epic two weeks of my entire life. Brittany and I had been saving up for five years, the first five years of our marriage. I worked at a caribou coffee shop for a period of time out in Chaska, Minnesota, and whenever the customers would come, they would like throw their leftover change in the little tip cup. And after every shift, I would bring home a brown paper bag that they would normally put pastries in full of change and maybe a couple dollar bills here and there. And for five years, we saved up change like that. We saved up my caribou tips. We saved a little bit here, a little bit there as we could so that on our five-year anniversary, we could take an epic trip to the East Coast. And so on our five-year anniversary, we flew from Minneapolis into New York and we spent a couple nights in New York. We saw Broadway shows, we saw a Mets game and a Yankees game, and then we traveled down the East Coast seeing baseball games in Philadelphia, seeing baseball games in Washington, D.C., seeing a baseball game in Baltimore, and then flying from there up to Boston and seeing baseball games in Boston. Yes, my wife is amazing. <laughs> she enjoys baseball. It wasn't me just dragging her along. But this was an epic time. Brittany did an incredible job planning this trip, setting money aside, figuring out what sites we're going to see, what, what public transportation we're going to take from this city, city to that city, what we're going to do during the day. It was epic and amazing. And I remember we came back from this trip and we sat with our friends, the Schmitz, right away we went over to their house and had a meal with them and they were like, how was it? And we're like, it's beyond words. We, we can't even describe to you how great it was. And like, do you feel rested? Do you feel relaxed? And we're like, we need a vacation from our vacation. <laughs> right? Be honest. How many of you have planned an epic trip, an epic vacation, and you come back from that, and it's an amazing time. You build great memories. You go out on these things to build incredible memories, and you think to get some R&R, some rest and relaxation, but you get home, people ask you about it, and how many of you have actually said, I feel like I need a vacation from my vacation? Put your hand up nice and high. Okay, how many of you have thought that? You've come back from a vacation, you're like, I'm exhausted. I need to take another two weeks off of work so that I can rest from the two weeks that I took off of work. This is a common reality for us. And my point is that regardless of how you try to build rest into your life, whether it's through long weekends or great vacations or setting up some boundaries, setting up some ways to unplug, most of our attempts to get rest only scratch the surface of what our souls desire. I mean, really, when was the last time that most of you felt like, my soul is rested, my soul is quieted, my soul is still before the Lord, I'm at peace? If you have little kids and you go on vacation, surely it's no rest. It's actually not a vacation, it's a trip. And, um, and, and even if you don't have little kids in the home, even if you are a single, life is busy, right? It has constant demands, and we try hard to create rest. But my conviction is, and, and what I believe to be true as I communicate with most of you and as I watch our culture, is that most of us still, despite how hard we try to get rest for our souls, we feel stressed, we feel burdened, we feel tired, we feel weak and worn out. Can I get an Amen. A lot of you feel that way. So the big idea that I want to look at here in this text and talk about this morning, could we uh, flip over to the next one there, Jeff? The big idea for this morning is that true rest is found in relationship with God that prioritizes people over tradition and Jesus over religion. This passage actually shows us a pathway to get true, meaningful, genuine, biblical, sustaining, soul-filling 
rest. And it doesn't come from vacation. It doesn't come from better time management skills and tips. It doesn't come from saying no to things more often or getting away from people and being in yourself by a lake, by an ocean, in the woods, by a mountain. It doesn't come from setting out of office replies and turning your phone off on the weekend or unplugging from social media. Those may be very good things that you need to do in order to start to lean into genuine biblical rest. But genuine biblical rest doesn't come primarily from these self-help tips that the world will throw at us. Genuine biblical rest, true rest, is found in relationship with God that prioritizes people over tradition and Jesus over religion. That's what we're going to see unfolded here in this text. See, true rest is really just found in Jesus' invitation that he gives us at the end of Matthew chapter 11. Come to me. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. True rest is found in relationship with God. And as Jesus helps his disciples to understand rest, he he shows us that part of the way for us to find true and genuine rest is actually to press into him and to prioritize people over tradition and Jesus over religion. See, I think many of us are burdened, we're stressed, we're tired, we're weak, we're worn out because we continue to prioritize the wrong things. Maybe we're prioritizing certain traditions, certain religious traditions. Maybe we're prioritizing our religious activity over actually coming and being with Jesus. I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to make sure I don't do this, I got to make sure I don't do that, rather than receiving Jesus' invitation to come. And so this morning, I want to walk through this text and see how Jesus helps us to understand and to receive true rest. Let's start with this people over tradition idea. Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, shows Jesus teaching his disciples to prioritize their needs over tradition. Sounds wrong, doesn't it? Some of you are probably like, hmm, What? Can you really prioritize yourself and your own needs over over a good spiritual religious tradition? Well, that's what we see happening here in this text. Pick it up in Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, so remember, Jesus has just given them this at the end of Matthew chapter 11. He's just given his disciples and all of those following him this invitation to rest. And then he goes on to describe how we get that rest. He says, at this time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Saturday. It was their day set apart from, for rest. In the Old Testament, if you remember the, the Ten Commandments, keep the Sabbath day holy. It's a day of rest that God had given his people. When God created the world, he created in seven days. On the seventh day, he six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. So God modeled for us this idea of unplugging, of taking a time to rest, of having a day set apart for rest. This is the Old Testament teaching. It's the Old Testament law. It's also an Old Testament tradition. So God had actually commanded his people to take a Sabbath rest. That's the teaching, that's the law of the Old Testament. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious rulers within, the, within Israel, they had created what we call a hedge around the law. So they had taken God's law, and God's law of the Sabbath was a gift to them. It doesn't say it in this passage, but I love in the Mark passage, in the Gospel of Mark, where Mark records Jesus doing this teaching. Jesus says that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So God had built into the law this day for them to unplug and to rest because it's good for human flourishing. It's good for our souls to have a day to unplug. 
and to say no and to get rest. And so that was the Old Testament teaching, law, and tradition. But these Pharisees, again, they had built this hedge around the law. All these, all these extra rules, they had layered rules upon rules upon rules so that you wouldn't get to the heart of the Sabbath, so that you wouldn't get to the heart of breaking the Sabbath. They, they, were, they were concerned and they were constrained. They, were, they lived their lives in fear of breaking God's law, so they added all these extra laws, all these extra layers to not even get close to the center. And so here's what happens. Jesus is walking with his disciples through the grain fields on the Sabbath. The disciples were hungry. It had been a while since they ate. They're physically hungry. And so they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And so the issue here isn't that they were stealing grain from another person's field. The Old Testament law also commanded people to leave, to leave a gleaning like the edge of the fields. They were to leave it for the poor, for the sojourners, for the widows, for those who had need in their culture. It was like a tax that anyone who needed, they could come by a field and, and eat the grain, eat the corn, eat whatever was on the edge of the field that the farmers who, who owned it and made a profit on it did not harvest that. They kept it there for the poor. God cares for people, right? His Old Testament law has these things built into it for human flourishing. And so just a little side note here, we notice that following Jesus doesn't always lead to you being happy, healthy, and wealthy. Hey, the disciples are not wealthy. They're actually, they are poor. They are in poverty. They are beggars taking the grain from the edge of the field, what was, what was left for the poor. The disciples are dependent on that for their physical sustenance. They had to eat what was left for the poor. So think about that. If you're struggling financially, it's not because, it, it may not be necessarily because you're disobedient to God with your money. God actually calls some of his followers into poverty. The disciples followed him and they gave up everything. They had a career change to follow him and it left them in need to the point that they had to, that they had to take the pathway of a poor person in order for them to get their food. So this is what's happening. They're walking through the grain field, they're hungry, and they eat. Verse 2, but when the Pharisees saw it, the religious leaders they said to him, to Jesus, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. See, part of their, their tradition, the hedge around the law that they had built was that people couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't take that extra food on the Sabbath because that was work. In order to walk through a grain field and to take the grain and to shuck it, if it's corn or if it's grain, if it's wheat, do the preparation for it to be able to eat it, that's work. And so you're breaking the Sabbath if you're going to eat in that way. There were all these rules of how you could eat on the Sabbath and rules of how you couldn't eat on the Sabbath. And here the Pharisees are calling out the disciples for breaking the Sabbath, for breaking the traditions of the elders, of the Pharisees, of the religious leaders. And here's what Jesus says to them. He said to them, Well, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the Pharisees. And so here Jesus takes this comparison to David. He makes a comparison to David and he says in, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 21, David, he was out with his warriors and they were out of food and they wandered into the tabernacle and they ate the bread of the presence, which Jesus summarizes for us here. It was it was reserved for only the priests. So 
David broke the law, he broke the tradition, he broke the commandment, and these Pharisees know the Old Testament. Jesus, even in a little sarcastic way, Jesus is a, is a funny character. Um, he has a way of, of working with all types of people. Verse 3, he said to them, have you not read? That would have been extremely insulting to the Pharisees because their life was to read and to know the Old Testament. They clearly knew this story. And so Jesus, even with that little comment, he gets under their skin. Well, have, have you not read? And they're like, well, of course we've read. He's like getting at their pride by asking that question. But then he's showing them that the reality is, is that sometimes our traditions need to be broken for the sake of our needs. Now, be careful with that because there's some lines there, right? And you can follow that rabbit trail pretty far away from God. But I think what we need to keep in mind here is that we see Jesus actually elevating and valuing the needs of his disciples over the religious tradition of old. And he compares it to David. He says, David broke the tradition so that they could eat. What's the why? What's the justification for breaking the tradition? It's human hunger. I mean, Jesus is just saying that David was hungry and his people, so should David, my man, and his people have starved to uphold your tradition? Should my disciples starve for the sake of upholding your tradition and upholding the law of Sabbath? He, he gives this justification for them breaking the tradition and the law in that there is a human need here. And so there's some sort of situa situational ethic going on here that, that Jesus is, well, actually we're going to see what he does is he rightly interprets God's word and God's heart and God's commands. See, the Pharisees were wrongly interpreting it. They were, they were holding to the letter of the law. They weren't flexing to the spirit of the law. Say, well, the point is God gave the Sabbath for us to find rest. But we're not even going to need rest if we die of, die of starvation. And so maybe we ought to break the Sabbath, eat the food, and then find rest another day, another time, another, another Sabbath. The justification is that there's human hunger. And then the point here is mercy. Jesus goes on, he, he reminds them of this story of David and, and uses that as an example, as a comparison. The justification is human hunger, that, that we're needy and sometimes our traditions don't meet our needs. And so we have to consider that. If you have a basic human need and a religious tradition that's keeping you from meeting that basic human need, you're going to have to do some consideration and some prayer and say, God, how do I uphold your law? How do I honor you? And how do I meet my basic needs? And Jesus goes on in verse, verse 5. He says, Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? See, you weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath, but the priests work on the Sabbath. Sunday now is our new Sabbath. It's supposed to be a day of rest, but I, but I work, right? I get my one hour of work in a week on Sundays. I preach for an hour, and then I vacation all week long. Be a pastor. It's a great gig. And so he, he's saying there, there's, you're not understanding the heart of the law. The heart of the Sabbath is, is it's to be a gift to my people. It's not to be this thing that you judge people by. It's not to be this thing that constricts you. It's not to be this thing that actually takes life from you. It's supposed to be something that you honor for the sake of giving you life. Verse 6, he says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. We're going to come back to that phrase because that's extremely important to understanding the true heart of rest. 
And then verse 7, he says, And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He had already told them that phrase in verse 9, or in chapter 9. He had said, go and learn what this means. To all of his followers, he had said, go and learn what this means, that I, God your Father, here present among you in the person of Jesus Christ, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He had commanded them to go and figure that out in verse 9, chapter 9. And here by chapter 12, they haven't figured it out yet. He says, you would have not condemned the guiltless. So he's saying his disciples are guiltless. They're breaking the Sabbath, yes, but in the eyes of God and Jesus, they're guiltless because they're bending and breaking their tradition for a basic human need, and there's a greater principle at play here. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The point is mercy. The point is that God cares more about people than he does about religious tradition. In in fact, everything that God gives us in his word is for human flourishing. God cares about people. God didn't give us the Sabbath so that he could feel better about himself as all of his creation obeys his commands. I think sometimes we think that way about the commands of God, don't we? Like, if we break a command of God, he's going to be angry with me, he's going to be mad with me, God is holy, I am unholy, and, and i got to keep God happy by obeying his commands, and, and i got to make God look good by doing all of my religious tradition, and God doesn't need us to make him look good. He's given us the law, he's given us tradition, he's given us some religious practice for our own flourishing and benefit. But if, if like we're seeing here in this passage, if those two things collide... God is actually for our good and for our human flourishing. He's not saying uphold the Sabbath to the point of you starving to death. He's saying if you need some food, get some food on the Sabbath. The second thing that we see here, Jesus is putting people over tradition. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 19 through 14, he's he's showing us that this passage shows us that he's teaching his disciples to prioritize the needs of others over tradition. So the first section, he's showing us that he's, he's leading his disciples into and teaching his disciples that sometimes, and again, I don't know the line here on the sometimes. You really have to wrestle with God and you need to learn this in community because, like I said, we can easily follow that logic and train of thought and create concessions where God wouldn't create a concession or make allowances where God wouldn't make allowances. But clearly, Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 through 8, he's showing us that there's, there's a time to break tradition. He does the same thing in 9 through 14. When he went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? The Pharisees are trying to catch Jesus. They're trying to, they're trying to catch him doing wrong and saying wrong so that they, as it says, so that they might accuse him. They hate the way that he's upsetting their religious apple cart and their religious hierarchy and and all of the works that they had done to try and earn their own salvation and prove their own righteousness and justify themselves. Jesus is saying, all of your righteousness is as filthy rags. You can follow the traditions of man. You can follow the religious law to a T, but all of your righteousness is filthy rags. You can't clean yourself. You can't make yourself better. And the Pharisees hate this because they've spent their life trying to prove that they are good enough for God. And so they're trying to accuse Jesus and and get rid of him because he's upsetting their religious apple cart. Religious apple cart. Verse 11, he said to them, 
which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? So again, there's this need on the Sabbath. A man has a need to be healed. He has a withered hand, and, and they're watching to see what Jesus will do. It's forbidden to work on the Sabbath. Is Jesus going to work by healing this man's hand? And again, Jesus gives them a comparison. He, he says, you're, you're watching this unfold, and you're going to accuse me if I heal the man with a withered hand, but which one of you, if one of your sheep, if you're a, if you're a shepherd who takes care of sheep and your sheep falls into a pit on the Sabbath, are you going to let that sheep sit in the pit and die? Well, no. No, because the point of the Sabbath is for you to connect with God. It's not to keep you from doing good. You would rescue your sheep. You would get that thing out of the pit, even though it's on the Sabbath. You would, you would break the Sabbath for a greater good to get the sheep out of the pit. And then he says, verse 12, how much more value is man than sheep? Okay, that's an easy comparison, right? None of us are going to None of us in this room, I hope, are going to argue that a sheep's life is more valuable than a man's life or a woman's life, right? We're all on the same page? Okay, great. They're on the same page too, and he just knows this. This is a basic human instinct. I mean, some of you might put your dogs on the same level as a human, but just, just don't. You can love your dog all you want. It's a dog. Just keep that in mind. Jesus makes this comparison that, of course, mankind, humans, they're more valuable than and so if you would get your sheep out of the pit on the Sabbath, why in the world would you not help a person in need on the Sabbath? Why are you Pharisees being so hypocritical about this? And why are you trying to play games with God and create all these different rules and regulations and traditions which actually hinder God's good work in your life? He says, so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. The justification for him healing this man's hand is human health. This man had a withered hand. Can you imagine how much life is affected by a withered hand? I mean, everything you try and do is complicated. Work is harder. Brushing your teeth is harder. You have to learn to become ambidextrous, putting on your shoes, or in this culture, your sandals. Everything is complicated and hard. And so this man comes before Jesus. He has a withered hand. And Jesus is kind of testing the Pharisees back. And he's saying, well, you would take care of your sheep, but you're going to accuse me for taking care of a person. You would, you would mow your lawn on a, Saturday, uh, on a Sunday, but you would judge somebody else for what they do or don't do on a Sunday. Oh, you would mow your lawn on Sunday, but you wouldn't go out of your way to help a person in need on a Sunday. You would say, I've got a nap, it's the Sabbath, but you'll get up and you'll go mow your lawn, whatever it may be. So Jesus is coming back at them and saying, it's the justification here for breaking the tradition is human health. There's the specific justification in this text that overrides their honoring the Sabbath. And again, the point is mercy. He has said in verse Seven, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. See, following and obeying the Sabbath could be an Old Testament form of sacrifice. They thought that they got right with God and that they received true rest by upholding the Sabbath rest. And by 
by following the tradition and the law. They were, they were burdened. Jesus says, come to me all who are labored and heavy, burdened and heavy laden, all who labor. They're laboring, they're burdened, they're heavy laden because they are trying to earn God's favor. That's part of it. I think some of it's true for us. We want rest and so we try and do devotions the right way or we try and select the right worship songs or we try and do our religious activity and life the right way and we think that our works will result in rest. And Jesus is saying that that actually adds on burden. The law is a burden. That's the point. It was It was given to show us that we needed a perfect man, Jesus, who could fulfill the law in our place because we can't. We can't fulfill the Sabbath. And so here Jesus is teaching them to put people over their tradition, to put others over their tradition. And so if you want to find rest, you should give a little bit of consideration to whether or not you're putting your desire for rest and a tradition or a good gift of rest over the needs of others. It's amazing how sometimes when you die to self and you meet the needs of others, you walk away feeling better, right? I mean, those of you who have helped and served when it's inconvenient, there's this supernatural thing that God does when you walk away and you're like, my soul feels more peace, I feel more one with God in his creation because, because I broke a tradition or I broke this, this thing that I was holding on to that was supposed to give me rest, but it didn't give me rest. And, and I've followed God by putting people over this tradition and I actually feel more rest in my soul. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. He doesn't desire our traditions. He doesn't desire us to go through the motions to make him happy. He desires us to be people of mercy. And being a person of mercy only comes from being close to the man of mercy. That's Jesus Christ. Mercy is not something that you do. Mercy is something that you become. The scripture tells us to do justice, but it says to be merciful. And so here Jesus isn't inviting us to do a bunch of things. He's inviting us to come to him, to become mercy, to receive the Lord of mercy, to be one with him, and we will become people of mercy in that we will find rest, in that we will, God will supernaturally guide us through when to say no, when to say yes, who to help, who not to help, and in that we will live in a lifestyle, a rhythm of rest with Jesus. It's not this, well, I take this day off of work and so therefore I'm rested. We all know that taking a day off of work doesn't equal rest. Amen? We all know that taking a vacation doesn't equal rest. There's something different. There's something bigger and more powerful at play here, and it's being in right relationship with God in a relationship that that honors people over tradition. And the last part of this here is Jesus over religion. So a right relationship with God that prioritizes others over tradition and it prioritizes Jesus over religion. Matthew, this entire section here, is teaching us that Jesus is the true Sabbath. He is the true rest. He can break the Sabbath and he can lead us to break the Sabbath because Jesus is the one who gives us rest. That's why he says, Come to me, all who, are labor, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, Get to the Sabbath, and the Sabbath will give you rest. Now he says, come to me. Jesus is the true rest. 
genuine relationship with him, not adherence to the law, is what gives us rest. And that's what he's showing us here in verse 6. He says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Again, the temple was part of their religious duty, going to the temple, making sacrifice, honoring the Sabbath. But Jesus is saying something greater than that is here. You can have rest at all times. You can live your life in perfect step with Jesus, the Son of God, and you can ping back and forth between work and rest in a natural, life-giving, genuine, biblical, soul-sustaining, soul-satisfying way when you come to Jesus and when you elevate him over your religious practice. And that's what he's teaching us here, that he is more important that he is more powerful, that he is more life-giving than our religion, than our religious duty, than checking off church attendance, than checking off a devotional life, than checking off listening to the right radio station or the right worship songs or, or serving in the right way or signing up to be on a team. Jesus over religion gives rest. There's this interesting parallel here that I think we see that religion contains, but relationship releases. So Jesus is wanting to set his people free of religion, religion which tires us and burdens us and wearies us. And in verse 6, he says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. See, see, the temple, it was this time and place in the history of Scripture and in the history of the world where God graciously came to his people in a tabernacle, and then in a temple. But he was contained to a place and a practice. It was God's grace to reveal himself to his people, but it was in a place, and it was through the practice of Sabbath, through the practice of sacrifice. And here in verse 6 and 7, Jesus is saying, something greater than the temple has come. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. No longer is a relationship with God contained to the temple or to the tabernacle and through the sacrifice of goats and animals and Sabbath and all of the Old Testament law. The relationship with God is not contained now, but it's released. Religion contains. Religion says, get to church. Religion says, and when I say get to church, get to the church building. Religion says, give this amount of money. Religion says, do these things and don't do these things. Religion says, as you do these things, you better do them in this way. Burdensome. It tires us out. But relationship, it, it releases us to live free for him in his kingdom, for his glory, for our good, and for the advancement of his gospel. He, he, Jesus is saying, no longer is this is this rest that I've offered you contained to a place and to a structure and to a tradition and a religion, but it's released into the world in the man, Jesus Christ. So anyone who would come to him can receive rest. Jesus is dispersed into the world, into all the nations, all the peoples, and we carry him out into the world. Religion contains, but relationship with Jesus releases rest into the world. It unleashes God's gift into the world. It doesn't call people to come and stay contained to a set of rules or to a place or to a practice, but it releases us to a person. And then religion does, but relationship is. See, see the difference there is re religion says, what can I do to make God happy? 
What can I do to get rest? Can I manage my time better? Yes, maybe you could. Could I, could I take a day off, like really off, really unplug? Yes, maybe you could. Could I take a vacation? Could I, could I have better rhythms and practices of devotional life and worship life? Yes, maybe you could. And maybe you should. But religion is caught up in duty. It's caught up in doing for God. But relationship is. You see the difference there? In religion, you, you do stuff hoping that you receive rest and you get closer to God, but relationship just says, you are my child. God says, you are my son. You are my daughter. You are. You can rest. You can be still. You can have confidence knowing that I am your God and I am for you. And if you break the Sabbath, I am still for you. And if you profane the name of the Lord on accident, I'm still for you. Or maybe even intentionally, if you doubt me, if you're depressed, if you're despondent, if you're faithless once yet again, I am for you if you come to me in Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to the Lord of mercy and let him transform you into a person of mercy who lives with a natural life rhythm of rest. And so this morning, I I want us to just continue reflecting on this, on that religion does, but relationship is. I want us to reflect on that as we take communion, as we go to the Lord's table. Some of you are, are used to going to the Lord's table as a religious duty. Like, this is what a good Christian does. They take communion, they go to church, they give tithes and offerings, they read, they pray, they check, 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 check. But this morning, I want us to come to the table knowing that we're in relationship with God. Don't come to the table as a duty this morning. Come as a daughter or a son. Come to the table to delight in the finished work of Christ and in response to his invitation. Come all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come in right relationship with God. We're actually prioritizing the needs of others in relationship with Jesus over religious practice, and you will begin to live into rest in a new and life-giving way. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, that you are perfect rest, that you did all of what we are incapable of doing. You lived the perfect life, but you died the sacrificial death in our place on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so I ask this morning that as we come to the table that we would remember and receive the rest that is freely ours in you. For your glory, for our good, and the advancement of your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.